Good to go. I think we're live. Are we live? Uh-oh. Live and in color. Well, not in color, but we're live, so I'll take it. <laughs> uh, welcome. Folks, live. Welcome to the first live episode of this year of TNT Radio, season four. How are we doing, Ton? I'm good. I'm just making a post live on the radio on Instagram, this but is not on, live. This is on just, the fly. It's on the fly. Real, real time things happening right now. Yeah. Uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, uh, you already heard my co-host, Ton Win, and I'm Tim Lessig, your other host. Uh, if you never heard our show before, each month, uh, thanks to Montrose Press Radio, we come and we talk about the full-length album and the art of that album. Um, and we talk about albums from across different musical genres, eras, and communities. Uh, the format we feel is lost in today's sort of digital and algorithmic uh, focused musical landscape. So we're going to take you each month through a collected work and dig deeper into the story of the album and talk about its impact on society and time. So today we're going all the way back to 2004 to talk about the quote unquote art project that is the Grey album. And for those of you who don't know, the Grey album is a mashup of two different albums, one of which being the acapella version of 2003's The Black Album by Jay-Z and the deconstructed samples of the Beatles' 1968 self-titled album, commonly known as The White Album, hence The Grey Album. And to kick us off, we're going to listen to a sample track, uh, the third track on the album called Encore. TNT. Lots to talk about on this one. Danger Mouse. Indeed. Oh, I didn't even mention the, the artist. Yeah, I think the yeah, Danger Mouse. <laughs> I hope everybody guessed it. Danger Mouse <laughs> from 2004. If you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> Brian Joseph Burton. Doesn't look like a Brian to me, but doesn't look agree. like a mouse either. I also read often that he was a British And DJ. doesn't look dangerous. <laughs> No, it doesn't. It doesn't. He looks like a pretty nice guy, I must say. <laughs> uh, he's Tom, a British DJ? No, no, he's not a British DJ, but I read oh, in right. many places that he was a British DJ, which is right. false. He, he did live in London for a bit. He did, but he's from White Plains. He's from just, just north of the city. Yeah, which is kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you in 2004? 2004, I album? was in senior year of high school. 
Sounds and so right. I distinctly remember like listening to this album on an iPod. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, what the hell is this? You know, I'm on my was... iPod headphones right now. There you go. <laughs> I remember it being like, what is, what is this? What is this thing? You know, I, I, I you know, I, it was before I even, uh, had heard of, of girl talk and things like that as we discussed on the last right. episode. So yeah, this yeah. is part two of our two part series on like mashups and copyright, I guess. Absolutely. Um, yeah, 2004. So this is four years before Girl Talk. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't check out our first album that we did, we did Girl Talk on the first episode for our fourth season. Um, but yeah, like this is two years after I graduated high school, kind of reminiscing. I wasn't really, I heard about it. Yeah. I knew about it. And in the industry, I heard. At the time, it was like just very, it is, I guess, it's, it's gotten really a lot of accolades and you know, people really supporting it, but it didn't really gravitate. I didn't gravitate towards it for, for some reason. I think I was really heavy into dance music, and at the time, mm-hmm. I just it's not that I didn't understand mashups, I just it was didn't spark an interest in me because Jay Z Black Album was like, okay, cool. And then I wasn't really listening to the Beatles at the time, yeah. Yeah, you know. I was. I had not really listened to the Beatles at all. Yeah, this would be school. technically our first Beatles kind of album. <laughs> <laughs> you did say that we would never do a Beatles album, actually. Did I? I didn't say yeah. that. I said radio. I think I said Radiohead. I think I said Radiohead. Okay. Or okay, maybe okay. it was the Grateful Dead. Okay. Either way, they're both on the band list. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, so uh, this was released in 2004. In February of 2004, as yeah, a matter of fact. February 2004 on What's the Label? It, funny enough, no label it's on because uh, this album wasn't actually, I, I said the quote unquote art project in the intro because right. Danger Mouse um, did not really intend for this to be a thing. Right. He created, he burned like 3,000 3, CDs and then those started to get around and then it started to blow up on the internet. Did and he really still use that term burn. Well, that's what they refer to as <laughs> what the what the process was back in the day. Okay. So and that's okay. what I used to do. So I'm gonna go roll. Yeah, it. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can age me by that as as you will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh he really did this for like his peers and his friends. Like he never really expected it. It was more of like a challenge for him. You yeah. Know? Less so than like a thing that was like, oh, this is gonna blow me up and like make me a, a name, a household name, you know. Yeah, I think he said specifically on a, there was a documentary on YouTube, uh, Bad Copy, Good Copy, Hmm. uh, where he said that, or maybe an interview where he said that he was cleaning his house and he was listening to the Beatles like he does twice a week, cleaning the house and doing his things. And then he had the Black Album in his hand. So he's cleaning the house. I guess the Black Album just came out or something or no it didn't come out yet black album came out in 2003 yeah so black album was in his hand came out already listened to the beatles and he just put two and two together and decided that it was a challenge like you said to mash these two musical compositions together or works together yeah and the thing that really you know apart from his own sort of spark of creativity the thing that really set this in motion was that in December of 2003, so a mere two and a half, three months before the Grey album comes out, mm-hmm. Jay-Z released an acapella version of the right. Black album, right. specifically for it to be remixed. Right. So this was like something that he was <laughs> very on board for, regardless of what, you know, he obviously didn't know the consequences. Yeah. That, um, yeah, I think, I think during that time, remixes were still a tool in the music industry to get more listenership absolutely through the radio or through the underground club scene yeah or whatever and this was for those who don't remember the black album jay-z's 2003 album was supposed to be his last album that he released it was supposed to be his retirement album so um hence the the sort of macabre idea of a black album so yeah um what are you want to do first thoughts yeah i mean i, I you know i hadn't listened to this in I don't know, 15 years easily. I remember listening yeah. to it like in high school and maybe in college a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I listened to it again and I was like, this album's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, I like it. I, I don't mind it. It's definitely a little bit more palatable if we're comparing uh, to the girl talk. Yeah. But this was one of the first quote unquote mashup albums that really, this is a full album. Previously, mm. I think artists were doing just tracks. Right. One track with another track. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this, this fucking album comes out and Project Danger Mouse and he kills it. Mm-hmm. And um, he pressed 3,000 copies. Yeah. He burned 3,000 copies and the acapella version of Jay-Z was I don't think anybody had really released a whole album for Jay-Z of nothing but acapellas for people of well, of his caliber of his well, caliber. I read I read that the reason he did it is because Nas did it actually for one of his oh, yeah? albums. Okay. And so he, he and he thought that was like a cool I, I think idea. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Nas actually did it. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from Jay-Z, but yeah. Um, um, so yeah, uh, he put this album together in literally a few weeks. Um and he called the computer files the black dash white album. So that, that's how eventually it became the gray album. <laughs> what I think is so great about the album, I my personal taste, it's like a monumental achievement to to put together two drastically different artists, mm-hmm. but not drastically different in magnitude or or like scope or like talent. Sure. Right. Beatles yeah. and Jay Z, two amazing talented people. Yeah, but two T- totally Titans opposite of their games. unique sort of yeah. genres. Yeah, yeah, and the way I like how you said that it was like a deconstruction because that's exactly what he says. It's like he literally just sat on the computer, just cutting up as much little bits and pieces that he could, yeah. that he can use to salvage, you know, mm-hmm. individual instruments, snares, kicks, riffs. Oh yeah, that would work with, you know, the the black album. Let's see, uh, the black album. I'm looking up right now. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how many producers. Oh, it has a ton because yeah, definitely. each track on that has a different producer. Actually, each right, track on the black exactly. album that was like part of Jay Z's like last yeah. send off was like he's gonna work with fucking everybody. Yeah, so like um, Timberland, Rick Rubin, Neptunes, DJ Quick, Just Blaze, Kanye West, Eminem. Yeah. Ninth Wonder, Sean Carter, which is him, Damon Dash. Yeah, it's just a plethora of people from yeah. that from that genre and from that those worlds. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. And um, I think yeah, and I think it got from my personal opinion. I think it got acclaimed because one because he did the marketing very well. Two, I think it's the Beatles. Yeah, Beatles are huge. You know, just yeah. the Beatles alone. If you just remix the Beatles album and not even put Jay Z, it'll probably still be something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and and geographically, it's like two different worlds colliding, so it's easy to process, right? And two yeah. to drastically, it was easily conceptualized and easy to digest by, for people. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think it's definitely part of it. I mean. Uh, to add a quote here from Danger Mouse kind of about this he says Mm -hmm. this wasn't supposed to happen I just sent out a few tracks and uh, now online stores are selling it and people are downloading it all over the place Uh, he denied being the agent provocateur saying it was not my intent to break copyright laws it was my intent to make an art project I think he was choosing his words pretty carefully um, in terms of what he was and was not doing Uh, part of the reason apart from it being intriguing and, and good and, and an impressive feat of production is that uh, there was a review of it in the February 9th, 2004 issue of The New Yorker. Mm, and that, yeah, right. that's what caught the attention of EMI, who is the label that owned the rights to all the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So but, he didn't actually uh, like intend, like in terms of marketing, he didn't really intend for it to be a thing. But the Jay Z Black album is not on EMI, right? It's on Def Jam Rockefeller, which is owned by Universal, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't intend it to be that big, and he was just in his bedroom, kind of just being the bedroom DJ producer that he was or he is, you know? Um, yeah. 
Let's see. He the marketing plan. 170 supposedly 170 different websites were hosting the album. So this is pre-Torrent days as well, right? Or this is about the same time as Torrents, I guess. This is probably torrents similar were... Torrent days, but I will yeah, yeah. just to offer a slight correction is that yeah. the 170 website thing is not a marketing plan. It was in fact a reaction to EMI's cease and desist right. order. Right, right. You're and right. so yeah. EMI issued a cease and desist order to Danger Mouse uh, and other websites that were selling the album. Right. And um, this uh, music advocacy organization called uh, Downhill Battle mm-hmm. responded by coordinating something they called Gray Tuesday, which was right. February 24th, almost 19 years ago to the day, uh, <laughs> 2004. How and basically what they did was 170 different websites posted the Gray album for free download for a 24-hour period. Uh, basically to protest EMI's attempts to prevent the distribution of the mashup on the grounds that sampling is fair use and that a statutory license should be provided in the same manner as if an artist were to perform or record a cover of the song. So uh, apparently in 24 hours, over 100,000 copies were downloaded on that day. That's so wild. (laughs) That's fucking wild, man. Yeah. So like from the same month where he like just burnt 300 CDs, and sent them out to friends and stuff. He then had like over 100,000 downloads in 24 hours later that month. If anybody has a copy of that CD, I would love to see a photo of it. I bet it would be worth a lot of money. Maybe you could post it on Instagram and tag us in it and look at it. Because CDs are kind of coming back, you know? They are coming back. A friend of mine's oh. son, uh, like nine-year-old son, just asked for a CD player for his birthday. So. <laughs> oh Full circle, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, what I think is also really interesting and cool is that, yeah, he got the endorsement from Jay-Z and Paul McCartney. I wonder what John Lennon would have said. I don't really yeah. care what Paul McCartney says, but I wonder what John Lennon would have said. Oh, I have, I have, the, I have the quote from McCartney. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, so both artists supported and jay-z said something like i think the quote that you're about to read is like he he supports any sort of creative creative activity yeah paul mccartney also called out emi and was like saying that like yeah i was all behind it and all for it's just the company emi was just the lawyers couldn't deal with this issue yeah of sampling and whatnot yeah mccartney said I didn't mind when something like that happened with the Grey album, but the record company minded. They put up a fuss. But I was like, take it easy, guys. It's a tribute. <laughs> yeah, it is a tribute. It's actually, it is a tribute. It's a very, like, it's a very anti-Lars um, Ulrich take. Like the, yeah. du- the Lars Ulrich, the drummer from Metallica, who famously mm-hmm. like, uh, pitched a fit about Napster and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, it's very anti-that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah why but it's still it's not like you know there were walls being put up by other people not to leak this but if or not to have this distributed but if it's good enough it will get distributed yeah. right yeah. and that's that's the joy of music it's so intangible but tangible you know it's like mm-hmm. ephemeral it's like you can't really grab it you just you can't there's no ba- it's boundless there's no boundaries really so yeah. the, the idea of copyright and sampling is just so bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I have I have one bit of inception sort of trivia that I'll give you about you know just that idea of, of the sample and how uh, just you know how integrated it is into modern music. Yeah, uh, the song Encore that appeared on the Black Album, mm-hmm. uh, the one that appears on the Black Album contained <clears throat> excuse me contains elements of a song called I Will performed by uh, legendary reggae performer John Holt. Mm-hmm. However, that song was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> so how about that shit? Well, it's super full circle. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> um, yeah. let's let's play another track real okay. quick. And um, we'll then come back and, and talk. Uh, so this is a song dirt off your shoulder you probably you probably heard the original one of this uh six track off of the gray album
y'all tuned into the motherfucking greatest. Turn the music up in the headphones. Tim, you can go and brush your shoulder off, nigga. I got you. Uh, yeah. If you feeling like a pimp, nigga, go and brush your shoulders off. Ladies, it's pimps too. Go and brush your shoulders off. Niggas is crazy, baby. Don't forget that boy told you, kid. Dirt off your shoulders, I probably owe it to y'all Probably be locked by the force, trying to hustle some things That go with the Porsche, feeling no remorse Feeling like my hand was forced, middle finger to the law Nigga, grip on my ball, said the ladies they love me From the bleachers they screaming, all the ballers is bouncing They like the way I be leaning, all the rappers be hating Off the trap that I'm making, but all the hustlers They love it just to see one of us making Came from the bottom, the bottom, to the top of the pots Nigga, London, Japan, and I'm straight up the block like a running back get it man i'm straight off the block i can run it back nigga cause i'm straight with the rock come on if you feeling like a pimp nigga gone brush your shoulders off ladies is pimps too gone brush your shoulders off niggas is crazy baby don't forget that boy told you kid that dirt up your shoulder you got a kid that dirt up your shoulder you got a kid that dirt up your shoulder you got a kid that dirt up your shoulder you got a kid Dirt up your shoulder Your homie hove in position In the kitchen with soda I just whipped up a watch Trying to get me a rover Trying to stretch out the coca Like a wrestler Yes sir Keep the heck of the clothes You know the smokers are Tesha But like 52 cars went out I'm through dealing now 52 bars come out Now you feel them now 52 cars roll out Remove ceiling in case 52 bras come out Now you chilling with a boss Okay, that was the sixth track off of the Grey album called Dirt Off Your Shoulder. Yeah, uh, I just want to say one thing before we, we go into the process is that Please. that track, the Dirt Off Your Shoulders is actually at 79 BPMs or it could go at one fi- double time 158. Yeah. And what I just realized while listening to that song, it's like this is pre-trap. Like trap is at 140 BPM, you know? There's very few songs during the in hip hop that's like about 140 but to hear a song made in 2004 at close to 140 50 bpms is really interesting because there's no trap influences or huh. hi hats or snares you know right, right. And like low bass signs so huh. it's really interesting to to hear that interesting yeah I, I literally have no idea about the different bpms for songs and things like that however <laughs> you're totally on on track because the first thing he did was listen to the black album and measure the beats per minute <laughs> right so it's like you know you're you're totally <laughs> you're right on right on track no pun intended there okay. um so after he did that uh he apparently went through all the 30 songs in the white album the white album is 30 fucking songs by the way it's a they're huge like album. three minutes long though no they're all super disparate and weird too it's, it's very strange yeah. i mean it, it you know it's a classic album but it's, it's yeah. very interesting listening back to it um so he basically like lifted you know all the the strike of a drum or cymbal crash right. or other instruments basically when there was no voice um and then he would kind of repurpose those to make beats and as you could tell from the background of that song the beat of that song that's obviously not like a beat that was just on the white album as it's like he obviously mm-hmm. like completely mm-hmm. constructed that on his own mm-hmm. that that sort of sound does not appear <laughs> on on the white album on its own yeah um, but what's great about it is that you can actually still tell it's it's the beatles yeah. that's john lennon's voice right, right there you know right and it's still although some people some beatles fan may feel that the integrity of the white album has been like you know defecated on <laughs> but like but like it's great that somebody just chopped it up it's like fuck you you know it's like i'm it's like it's like graffiti art right yeah. it's like yeah i'm just gonna write my name on every single fucking wall and i don't give a fuck right no i don't care yeah. if it's like you know on the yeah. bank of america or you know or some sort of like you know uh thing held in high regard yeah um, so he basically, so he lifted all the different drum beats and things like that. And then he basically repeated the same process for the guitar and the bass samples. Um, and he used the software Acid Pro from Sony, which yeah. uh, is apparently an alternative to Pro Tools that retails for about 400 bucks. <laughs> Acid Pro. I remember Acid Pro. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in the day. That's funny. I, that's before production days. Um, I kind of want to just like 
run through just like a background of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he was born in White Plains. He moved to Atlanta, went to high school there mm -hmm. and college there. He was a DJ on the Georgia University of Georgia radio, WUOGFM. Um, and then he created remixes from 1998 to 2003 under the stage name Danger Mouse because when he was performing, he didn't want to show his face. But also, <laughs> obviously, Danger Mouse is like an English cartoon. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he for uh, he gave his tracks to CeeLo because CeeLo and Goody Mob were performing at the university. And CeeLo denies, or not denies, but doesn't remember receiving any demos from Brian. I guess that's his name. Yeah. Uh, but later, him and Brian, CeeLo, Danger Mouse, created yeah. Norris Barkley. Norris Barkley. That's kind of jumping ahead, but... It is. I mean, not that far ahead. It was yeah. 2006. <laughs> yeah, so 2004, he puts out this album. He rides away for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. And then he throws some tracks to CeeLo from Goody Mob. But... And then he moves to London. Mm-hmm. He well, no, he, he'd he already moved. I think he'd already been he'd already moved. Okay. He'd already okay. been to London and back. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's just funny because when I read that, I was like, okay, you moved to London and then you're working at a bar. And then the person that used to book Goody Mob or CeeLo's show, solo shows moved to London hmm. as well to become Danger Mouse's manager. Right, right. So that's how the hookup got really tight, you know? Mm, and yeah. then um, while in London, he got an album deal with Lex Records. Mm -hmm. Rex Le Lex Records was actually started by the person who started Warp Records. Warp Records is like Apex Twin, a uh. um, whole bunch of people. Big. Former, former TNT focus. Yeah. Apex uh, Twin. I'm going to look it up right now. A lot of good it's a good it's one of the one of the first independent electronic independent um record labels hmm. i wouldn't say lex rex was started by somebody at warp but there's a connection there fair enough um so being that connection you know it's just good in general that he got linked up like that and <laughs> pretty much linked up with CeeLo and then made crazy and the story's and, there. Yeah, and everyone and their mother has heard has heard that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting thing about him being in Athens, Georgia. Uh, Athens, Georgia, a famously pretty big uh, indie music college music scene. Mm -hmm. uh, both REM and the B-52s came out of Athens, Georgia. Um, so they definitely yeah. have like a uh, pretty established scene for those things. Black Lips um, are from Athens, Georgia. Who? Black Lips. Oh, really? Yeah, they've been mm -hmm. on Vice. They're like a yeah what do they call it like flower punk or something <laughs> i don't know that's that's fun i like that i'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gonna get into that <laughs> <laughs> maybe we do a flower punk album that'd be sweet that'd be fun <laughs> um so yeah basically this the ground comes out he blows the fuck up uh in you know just the first year alone uh let's see he already like has some acclimates uh he is the album is named the best album of 2004 by entertainment weekly not like a not like a subtle publication entertainment weekly uh and it was ranked number 10 in the village voices has and jop critics poll um wow so he's already like getting huge a lot of accolades, accolades yeah this. sorry i skipped one really important album is in 2005 i don't know if this is correct but i copied and pasted it uh, Danger Mouse produced the second Gorillaz album in 2005 called Demon Days. Sure did. So he produced mashup album, and in 2005 he's working with Blur, and then in 2009 he goes to Narls Barkley. He creates Narls Barkley, and then no, what no, I no, Narls Barkley was 2006, and then he did oh, that. Okay, okay. He did that band, The Broken Bells, with the dude from The Shins. Right. Sorry, I'm reading it yeah. wrong. Yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. But he also he also did uh, former TNT Focus 
uh, Danger Doom with MF uh, Doom. Yeah, MF Doom. In 2005. And they, they put out the album The Mask and the Mask, which is a great album. Yeah. Since we're just running off his like <laughs> resume right now. Crazy. Like, Another thing that he's he's worked with the Black Keys. He kind of helped shape a lot of the Black Keys stuff. He like recorded the one of the Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Yeah. Uh, he's worked with Bono, Nora Jones, Adele, Aesop Rocky, Portugal the Man, and pretty much everybody that he's worked with has gone on or like <laughs> a track or two on there has been really nominated or critically acclaimed or i don't know it's just yeah. wild he, yeah. he won producer of the year five he, he let's see it says danger mouse has been nominated in the producer of the year category five times and he won it in 2011. he's, he's been nominated for 22 grammy awards since 2004. yeah and he's won six even though we don't really give a shit about grammys but <laughs> no the show stated does not give a shit about the grammys <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's just a pure, supposedly it's just a peer-to-peer judging thing, but it's yeah, just kind yeah. of amazing because like you go it's from a, making a remix album in your bedroom and then you're just producing these fucking huge bands. You're the hottest producer on the scene. Yeah. It's like him and Pharrell during this time and yeah. like Timbaland who are like, yeah, just like cruising on different albums yeah. and, and just producing everyone. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and what's funny is like, he's been doing this since college if yeah. not high school yeah uh, i didn't really see any sort of like school music schooling or anything like that it just says that like he was like a producer and putting out mixtapes and he released like three albums or something right and then it wasn't until this one that like it really got a hold of what's happening and for your for your career to move that fast and move that fast probably didn't seem fast to him but <laughs> and to really not jeopardize your creative output it's like pretty cool like you're still working on a lot of stuff and really behind the scenes and you made a niche for yourself yeah so cool yeah absolutely and you know he kind of compared himself to more of a film director as opposed to uh like a dj or someone that he could look after and unfortunately he used woody allen as an example there yeah but (laughs) you know that that is what it is uh but he basically said like he wanted to create a director's role within music uh kind of creating different kinds of musical worlds um and he said musically there's no one who has the career that he wants and that's why he sort of uses the film director's arc as a model so yeah he's a conceptualizer it feels obviously after this album like concept albums and concept tracks are like and then because the next thing he does is he does gorillas with Mm -hmm. blur and that's total concept yeah um he was voted or he was esquires in 2008 he was esquires 75 most influential people Hmm. of the 21st century yeah which is wild and then like 2004 he was one of the men of the year for gq <laughs> you know and always then, always helpful yeah pace magazine named them the best producer of the decade hmm. even though your album came out you didn't really have an album till 2004 but you get the whole decade anyways which is cool <laughs> good job you know just get to skip a few years and you're, you're cruising yeah um <laughs> I don't know. What are what are some other thoughts? It's just it's just it is upper, pretty. It's just crazy. Like yeah, I will say that there are probably more quotes about this in terms of the legality and the copyright issues, and mm-hmm. also it's sort of um, using it as sort of like a north star, like a, a, a tectonic shift of music and the internet and mashups and like what this means going forward i found more about this album than probably any other album yeah and it's, it's really curious as to why that is is it because of the manner in which he did that or is it because of the two artists in which he used to I do think it? it's both actually i i would agree that it's both and it's just uh you know you get a mixture of certain things and that mixture was fucking right yeah the, time, yeah, like it, the timing was right the mixture was right the artist that he chose yeah it was just his time mm-hmm. 
I think right. I think the I think the world was uniquely primed for it, and the internet yeah. was just functioning, and like uh, social media and things like that were just functioning well enough to where like this could be a thing that catches fire like that. But yeah, I mean, if he had used, I don't know, the Rolling Stones and uh, Nas, would this have like popped off nearly as hard? I, I don't know. I, th- I think there is something unique about, you know, Jay Z was probably at the height of his powers, and the Beatles are, of course, this like. Uh, the you know one of the most revered bands of all time yeah jay-z was fucking killing it he yeah. obviously retired yeah he's still going now but like yeah so i'm just looking it up right now 2004 was the birth of facebook um ipod dominated yeah so apple was doing a big push on new music and that's when literally like music became cheap steve jobs uncle jobs made every song 99 cents <laughs> you know so like yeah yeah it was kind of a big fuck you at during that time for music napster too you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so the the whole all the ingredients that came together to make this happen just worked in his favor it was kind of a, a perfect storm of timing of substance of method uh <laughs> yeah yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it just sounded like he, he was like in the studio just doing a lot of math and stuff. <laughs> that's what it, I thought you just said. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he was doing in that bedroom. But, <laughs> uh, fun fact, as I was looking at the Beatles' White Album Wikipedia page, the Grey Album is not noted at all on it, which I think is fascinating. It plays it, It's pretty prominently noted on the Black Album page, but mm-hmm. not on the on the White Album. That's very curious. I wonder what that's about. Who owns the Beatles catalog now? Fuck, I know. Michael Jackson, I know, at one point owned it. Yeah. But that would have been prior to this, I think. I guess maybe EMI still does? I have no idea. Sony. Oh, is it Sony? Yeah. Uh, Another interesting piece about this in terms of timing was that in 1989, uh, the album Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys came out, and that album is completely made of samples. Um and which I believe they have Beatles uh, samples on there. And because the copyright law didn't exist, the Beastie Boys never got like went after by their record. Yeah. So, um, and then after, after that, apparently the thing that um, set off some of the copyright law in this, in this vein was Mm -hmm. uh, the band, the turtles classic uh, Mm -hmm. apparently sued De La Soul for the unauthorized use of a small bit of their minor hit you showed me on three feet high and rising so the turtle you could thank the turtles for <laughs> this sort of copyright law but the three feet high and rising would have been in like 1991 92 uh something like that so um speaking of de la soul rest in peace from uh one of the de la soul members david jolicoe he's one of the founding members of de la soul he died like just a couple like weeks a, ago. Yeah, just week. Ten days ago. Yeah. I was kind of sad, but... Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, yeah, it, it, this is the perfect case study for sampling, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking earlier before the show that, like, this has encouraged me, doing after doing the Girl Talk thing that we did for our first episode, it has encouraged me to work on a project similar to this. And I'm just sampling the shit out of everything right <laughs> <laughs> i was like i should have done this long time. i've sampled a little bit here and there in my own music but i'm like i'm just gonna make all the sounds myself so i don't even fucking have to worry about lawyers or labels coming at me but yeah yeah for this new project that's coming out i'm just like fuck it i'm just gonna sample everything i should just <laughs> just fucking rip everything up i don't give a fuck like yeah. i'm a nobody like who cares <laughs> you know hey you're someone to us, Tom. Um, <laughs> before we listen to another track, I'll, I'll read a quote from the New York Times in February of 2004, kind of that summarizes, I think, what we were just chatting about pretty well. Um, it goes, ever since Napster came along, digital distribution of music has been seen as both threatening to the music industry and promising to those who believe the music industry stifles creativity. Proof of this promise uh, could partly take form of a music world parallel to the Blair Witch Project an apparently web-driven breakout phenomenon, and it's just happened. So they kind of use that sort of DIY, um, you know, user-generated sort of sort of content, the beginning mm-hmm. of that, really, 
as uh, sort of a, a parallel here. Um, Which, and now everything is user generated. Oh, absolutely. Everything, I mean, you think about A, like mashups in modern music, and you think about TikTok, and you think about all that kind of yeah. shit. It's, oh my gosh. it's, it's overwrought. TikTok <laughs> yeah. is a big mashup. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, both in, in form and in, in substance, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so let's listen to one more track before we um, dive more into the copyright and wrap this, wrap this whole thing up. Um, this song is called 99 Problems. And it is the fifth song off of the album. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap patrol on the cat patrol. Foes that want to make sure my cask is closed. Rap critics to say he's money cash holes. I'm from the hood, stupid, what type of facts are those? If you grew up with hoes in your zapper toes, you celebrate the minute you was having dope. I'm like, fuck critics, you can kiss my whole asshole. If you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. I beat with radio, if I don't play they show, they don't play my hits. I don't give a shit, so Rap mags try and use my black ass So advertise can give them more cash for ads Fuckers, I don't know what you take me as So understand the intelligence that Jay-Z has I'm from rags, the richest niggas, I ain't dumb I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one Hit me! It's like, you know, obviously one of the biggest hits from the Jay-Z album to begin with. It does with. have some Rick Rubin vibes to it too, though. Well, what's funny that you say that is, <laughs> I mean, Rick Rubin produced that particular song and the original, I, I, hadn't, listened, I hadn't listened to the original version of that song in forever. Right. So yeah, I listened yeah. to it and it's like, it's like Phil Spector, like wall of sound, like rock yeah, yeah. music, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This yeah, one is, exactly. this one is more subtle. I mean, it's obviously like a pretty ripping, ripping thing, but it's pretty interesting, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and what's cool, what's actually what's interesting rather, uh, is that you know Rick Rubin, for those of you who don't know, is one of the founders of Jeff Jam Records, signed LL Cool J, uh, Public Enemy, uh, the Beastie Boys Beastie originally. Boys, yeah. So Rick Rubin was also the dude who did the first like rap, what's considered the first rap rock track mm. in "Walk This Way" by Aerosmith. Right. And Run, Run DMC. DMC. Yeah. yeah. And he also did "Fight for Your Right to Party." And so it's like, you know, it, it, interesting, just sort of a coincidence in some yeah. ways, you know, more like yeah, full yeah. circle type stuff around this. Well, so. uh, did you read that quote from Paul McCartney about uh, it actually coming full circle? And I'll just read it again, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney thought that it was really cool when hip hop started. You would hear references and lyrics. You always felt honored. It's exactly what we did in the beginning, introducing black soul music to the mass white audience. It's some full, it's come full circle. It's well cool. When you hear a riff similar to your own, your first feeling is rip off. After you got over it, you think, look at that. Someone's noticed that riff. Mm. So I think that's cool. You know, he's recognizing that he's, that the Beatles is definitely stealing from black music <laughs> so he says it without, he says it without saying it yeah 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 that's yeah. why i wanted to read that quote 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but um, just to go back, when I was listening to all the to the album, I was thinking about the algorithm that was like producing Beatles songs,、mm. recreating new songs, but using Beatles lyrics and Beatles voices and John Lennon's voice to create totally new songs. Do you mean like an AI? An AI, yeah.、Oh. Yeah, yeah. This happened maybe. A while ago, but yeah, like seven years ago at least. But what's funny is like listening to this album is this is what I would imagine now. If you typed in AI, write me an album, white stripe or white album and black album, Jay Z, and this is what it would sound like. Yeah. So this is pre AI. <laughs>、hmm. That's interesting. If you think about it, like the jitteriness, the randomness, but. It's、If、human. an AI can create an album this good, I will be deeply, deeply unsettled. You should, you should, everybody should go online and listen to the Beatles、um, AI. Oh、songs. man, that's creepy. It's wild. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't. And, I mean, we're not going to be able to do a show in a couple of years because all、yeah, this shit's going to be AI generated. Yeah, no, exactly. Because right now, David Guetta, I, I follow like dance music, right? So like、right. everything on Instagram is like David Guetta, David Guetta, because he's like the number one Spotify artist right now, for,、yeah. or something like that. I don't know.、Yeah. Anyways, he he's playing with a lot of AI stuff right now, and he went online with I forget which AI program it was. It was like make me a track. Using Eminem's voice with these words. Yeah, that's what he typed in, and pretty much it got up. He had a passage, and it sounded exactly like Eminem, and he used it in the track, and it's like huge. So, like when I'm going back to copyright, it's like、mm-hmm. okay, if an AI builds a track or uses somebody else's voice referencing the root, is that copyright or is that what is that? Where where do we go from here? I think that does David be, Guetta get sued by Eminem, or does does the company get sued by Eminem, or yeah, you know, yeah, who, yeah, who? Obviously, nobody really owns it. That's a great question. I mean, I, th- I think that might be the next wave of these copyright issues.、Yeah. Um, you know, apart from Spotify, you know, not paying artists and things like that,、right. and commercials, and and you know, different TikTok and stuff like that. Like, you know, even our show, we're not. I'll tell you what、yeah. we're not we're not paying for royalties for any of this、There's、shit. There's like ten、so. ads on our podcast if you listen to it on Spotify right now. Are there really? Yeah, over it. I'm sure. Oh no shit. Yeah, I've never listened. I've never listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why nobody listens to our show. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure on Apple there's no ads. <laughs> that's really funny. I, yeah, can they do that? That's fucked up. I'm gonna look into that. Yeah, no, that's that's what they do. It's it's fucked up. Yeah, but I don't care,、um, for, I don't care yeah, for that. Yeah, it's it is. <laughs> What is the next level like? Okay, if somebody uses your voice to create a song, but they've created with AI, that's that's a mind bender. Right. I like want to break the code on that one right now, but I think I would leave it up to the audience on where does the copyright issues move to when AI gets involved. Yeah. Yeah. Because and it's definitely yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think it is truly like one of the next waves of like this very confusing and no pun intended gray area of, <laughs> of copyright law. <laughs> We have really good scriptwriters for this. <laughs> well, I will say、uh, Bowie. The, the LA Times actually talked to Bowie about this album and back in when it came out,、mm-hmm. and、uh, he both noted the parallels between. Uh, the world of visual art, you know, things like、uh, Warhol and Rauschenberg,、yep. and kind of how those things have played out. But he also had a more philosophical take on it, which was, it will all slowly sort itself out in some kind of workable mess. But will it? But it will continue to be a gray area for some years to come. But that's life, isn't it? <laughs> so、yeah. Bowie had like a very like laissez-faire sort of take on this. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure,、so. for sure. But I just thought that was a very like Bowie. That's cool that、career. they asked him about that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also one of the first artists to Bowie to create a feature for his catalog, meaning he was selling future roy- royalties. People could buy in. Oh, really? To the future royalties of his catalog. Ah,、uh, he was like futures of his catalog. Yeah. Oh, weird. 
this huh. and then now there's like a whole marketplace for it now like i'm, I'm gonna pretend day. that bowie wouldn't have been into crypto i'm gonna pretend that, <laughs> <laughs> that that's not a thing <laughs> um yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if he is i don't know it doesn't really fucking matter but anyways no, since on. we're talking about copyright and, <laughs> and like sampling and yeah is sampling stealing or is it borrowing is it you know i guess i think you i've heard you say this in the past but i'm not speaking for you it's like where does the money go right, right. who's benefiting from the cash because i was thinking about this it's like i couldn't find any sort of like monetary obviously he was he had he got all these other jobs and he probably toured and whatnot but yeah he got endorsements from both artists so yeah, that's the thing is, is you know if both artists are okay with it how do you know what's the big deal but the problem is, is that it's the the major labels um, right. and i'll read a quote from the person who is the co-founder of downhill battle who uh, organized the Great Tuesday protest uh, that enabled people to download the album. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Nicholas R- Reville, and he says sampling is something that's been sort of made illegal by the major labels over the last decade and a half. Um, it sounds hyperbolic, but they really have banned an art form from the mainstream. This wasn't about getting whatever album for free just to defy the major labels. It was about making sure, and he's referring to the protests here, he says it was about making sure that they weren't able to censor this work of art and about demonstrating why there needs to be a reasonable and practical sampling right. So, you know, from the, the mouth of someone who runs a music advocacy organization, there's no clear lines in terms of the right to sample or the the process for getting it cleared. So, yeah, I really see major labels as like that really terrible news car salesman mm. that like sells you a news car telling saying it's like really good and then like or you know and then like deciding that like he's not gonna finance it like three months down the road after he sold it to you and like yeah. wants the car back yeah. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. Uh all the majors are actually a leasing company. They're leasing your time, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh another quote that I have that I think is relevant uh by someone named Philip A. Gunderson, who wrote kind of a, an essay about this. Um he says music fans fed up with the high prices and outright price fixing of commercially available music have opted to share music files via peer-to-peer. He wrote this in 2013 uh, via peer-to-peer file sharing networks and record labels are attempting in response to course music fans back into the exchange relationship. The gray album and the mashup form in general are symptomatic of an historical movement in which the forces of music production, the technology, artistic convention and web-based networks of music production have greatly exceeded the present relations of production expressed by artists and label contracts, music property rights, and traditional producer-consumer dichotomies. Hmm. So he's he's kind of fleshing this out to be this like means of production versus the means of capital. <laughs> he's like he's fleshing out to more of like a Marxist sort of right. sort of argument about economics. But yeah, I think ultimately what he's saying is that there's this there's long been this great tension between these two entities. And this is one of the things, much like I bet AI is going to be one of these things that is spurring um, some real, some real chaos and conflict. Yeah, this this sampling and quoting, you know, in classical music, has gone back. But back then, there was no real copyright. Like, I haven't. I, I want to do this research now, like to find out past composers from the classical and Baroque age and see if there were any sort of beefs <laughs> amongst composers back in the day and be like, hey, you stole that fucking eight note riff or whatever that right, I did right. on this concerto or whatever. Well, and how many, oh, dirty how shit, many but... classical composers have covered Mozart and Bach and oh yeah yeah you know and how many yeah, jazz yeah. uh artists have covered different jazz progressions and and you know arrangements and stuff like that in the past. You know it, it's it's interesting to sort of see the record companies get all uh, flustered about this versus versus that. Yeah, because the record company, this is my opinion, is a conglomerate of people, right? It's just many people. It's not just one person. And yeah. they're running off of old contracts and words and meanings that over time, <clears throat> excuse me, lose their meaning or there's new words that replace the old words, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in our mo- the modern colloquial language or whatever you want to say. And it's just obviously a gray area. It's like you have these contracts and 
you think that it's going to hold in place, but 50 years down the road or 48 years down the road, when the contract's like about to be up, it's like you have to write a new contract with new words. And by that time, the music is not even like appropriate. Yeah. I don't、yeah. know if that. And you know what happens?、Sense. What happens when McCartney? You know, let's say McCartney and, and Ringo own the rights still, uh, or some other artist that actually owns the rights. Right. You know what happens when those people die? Then does the record company does it, does it default to the record company? In which the case they can, you know, a boardroom is going to control,、uh, you know, some creative force. Like it's, it's very nebulous and, <laughs> and legal and yeah, it's intangible. That's why I say it's intangible because、yeah. like it gets to the point where like you could really list the whole industry is music. The whole industry is about consumption. Obviously,、right. with、uh, com- that's what capitalism is now. But like, if ideally, if you had a music industry or music, people would just exchange music and not really care about whether someone stole it or not. Yeah, that's ideal. That's how I see. Ideally, you know. Right. Right. And when something comes out like this, the whole music community supports it because the fans or the people who really enjoy music just. Want to listen to music? They're not trying to make some cash. He's not trying to make some cash. Like no, no. Was, like as as he mentioned, it was an art project. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to do some trivia? Uh, yeah. We have a.、Uh, let's see. What, what do I have trivia wise that I haven't already sprinkled in? Um, let's see. Oh, the fun fact is that in 2006 at the Grammys. Speaking of which, uh. I don't know if you remember this. I I didn't until I found this. Jay Z and Lincoln Park did like a mashup album together or whatever. Yeah, and they performed the song "Numb" slash encore at the Grammys. And guess who joined them on stage to sing part of a song? Paul McCartney. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's like, you know,、uh, his record label is the one sort of trying to to. To stop this from getting out there, but yet it was clearly an influence enough where like Jay Z and Lincoln Park were doing this thing together, and then Paul Cartney, you know, I think there's a pretty direct line to draw there. I think the、uh, best collab would have been John Lennon and Danger Mouse and Jay Z in a new album. In a new really, album, if they were all alive, if they're all alive, yeah, they're all alive. <laughs> if John Lennon was still alive. He'd get in the studio with those two. That that's fire. That could be something. <laughs> <laughs> That's my、But、wish we are, list. We are just out of time now that we have hit Ton's wish list.、Um, <laughs> so I want to I want to thank Ton. I want to thank Montez Press Radio for having us yet again. We appreciate it. Back for another season. Our next live show on Montez Press Radio will be April twenty sixth.、Uh, between now and then, hey, why don't you throw them some cash? Throw them some money. Donate to Montez Press Radio.、Um, if you want to look up TNT's. Old episodes. We have a podcast on Apple, and apparently, Evil as Spotify, who's putting ads in our shows.、Uh, you can find all our old shows there.、Um, and thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and、uh, take care of yourselves. Good night. Just the unwritten laws and rap. Know that every action is a reaction. Don't have me relaxing. Relaxing is what I'm about. But about mine, don't be acting like you can't see street action. Take me back to reasonable doubt time. You see my mind's on the finish line, facing the wreck. I put my motherfucking faith in the tech. Tell Satan not yet. You understand I'm chasing my breath. I am narrowly escaping my death. Oh yes, I'm the Michael Schumacher of the rock rocks. The traveling Mach five, barreling my power can stop God. God forgive me, but I can't let them deliver me to you until I won this race. And eventually, my engine gon' burn out. I get whatever is meant for me. However, it turns out fast. Redline. And two wrongs don't make a right. But when you've been wrong and you know all along that it's just one life, at what point does one fight? But you knock the ball. 
try to put your dogs in it Ten and a half, one minute and a half Bet that stops all the grinning and the laugh When you play the game of life and the winning in the bag When your options is none and the pen is all you have Or the block, niggas standing tight as limits on the ass Try to cop a shot, call self cleansing in the cash But can't put their name on paper cause then you won't blast Mr. President, it's drugs in our residence Tell me what you want me to do, come break bread with us Mr. Governor, I swear there's a cover up Every other corner there's a liquor store, fuck us up I hope 